to 2 Kings chapter 5 in your Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 5 will be our text this evening. If you'll have a Bible open, we'll have other passages projected on the screen behind me, but we'll read together in just a few moments from 2 Kings 5. Thank you so much for being here. We've had a good day together. Much to be thankful for today. Much to be optimistic about. Much to be encouraged by. And you, you play a role in that. And so thank you. Thank you for being an encouragement to me by being here this evening and opening up your Bible, opening up your heart. In many ways, we're going to build on some of the foundational points that Roger made this morning. Our Bible reading schedule has taken us through this section of the Old Testament just a few days ago. And nothing new, nothing all that difficult to understand. Really, really, really basic idea this evening. But something that I hope all of us, young and old, can understand, be challenged by, made to, to think and carry with us this week as we build a relationship with God. Would you start reading with me in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, about a man named Naaman. Naaman was, verse 1, the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. Naaman has a, a lot of things going for him. But Naaman was a leper. And it's hard for us in this part of the world at, at this point in time to really wrap our minds around what a devastating few words that really is. But in... In most every ancient context, that would mean, well, it's just a matter of time. This man is a dead man walking. He has a, a death sentence, this terrible disease that is going to rob him of so much physically and eventually, internally. This is going to take his life, and, and it's forever changed his life. He's, as it gets more and more serious, going to have to maintain more and more distance. He's most certainly not going to be able to stay as a, a commander of a great army. His best days are behind him and all that lies ahead is, is terror and terrible pain and, and ultimately death. But if we keep reading, we, we we're run across an interesting detail in verse 2. The Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And this little girl from Israel said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy and once again easy for us to read over but hard for us to realize how how strange that would have sounded 3,000 years ago 
The idea of speaking cure and leprosy together in the same sentence, it It just didn't work like that. I mean, we can flash forward several centuries into the days of Jesus, and it still didn't work like that. There was no cure for leprosy, and yet this little girl believes that there is a prophet back where she came from, and and not just a spokesman, but someone who can work miracles, and not just any general miracle, but he could cure the incurable. Can you imagine how excited Naaman's wife must have been, at least to float the idea, and at least there's a little spark of hope, because Naaman, in verse 2, went and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. There's just one problem in all of this. The king of Israel, even as Roger shared with us this morning, this was a time when many of the kings, especially in the northern kingdom of Israel, did not like the prophets of Jehovah. And so Naaman goes, he takes with him Ten talents of silver, again, easy for us to read right over without recognizing, that is 750 pounds of silver. And 110 pounds of gold and ten changes of clothing. And he brings the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And the king of Israel doesn't know what to do with that because he knows he can't cure leprosy and he knows this is a a rival king, in fact, a king that has made raids into his territory. And so when the king of Israel reads this letter, he tears his clothes and says, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. That, that king of Syria is just looking to to pick a fight, acting like I can do something that I I clearly cannot do. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. I can't prove it, but it's not hard to imagine that Elisha is also, if you can read between the lines, king of Israel. By the time this is done, you can know as well that there is a prophet in Israel who speaks the, the words of God and you should have been listening all along. So when Naban knows... Who to go to, he he comes with horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And 
Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him. Saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman, Naaman was angry. 2 Kings 5 verse 11. In fact, Naaman went away. He is so angry that he turns his back on the house of the prophet in Israel and starts walking away saying, Behold, I And those are the words that I would love to sink into all of our minds this evening. We don't have to guess at what Naaman is thinking. He he spells it out for us. Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. Could I suggest to you this evening that if we were rephrasing that and maybe personalizing it, we might say... Doesn't he know who I am? I mean, I'm not sure who he is. After all, all that I've heard about him comes from the the, the servant of my wife who is from this part of the world. But I mean, I brought 750 pounds of silver and more than 100 pounds of gold and 10 changes of clothing long before you could go any department store and pick out things like that. Who else is going to approach this man with this sort of stuff? Doesn't he know who I am? Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of Yahweh his God. I was expecting something much more grand, we might say. I mean, really? You're going to send a messenger? You're not even going to see me personally. And and you're not going to come out here and wave your hand over the place and cure the leper. We might rephrase that as, I was expecting to be personally served. I mean, I'm the one who's traveled all this way. I'm the one who has brought all of these gifts. He's supposed to be able to do something that no one No one else is able to do. I I figured he'd come out, he'd put on a good show, and I would be personally served. And are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus? He's, He's from Syria in the north, and really? I mean, have you seen the Jordan River? In some places, it looks more like a creek than a river. I mean, if we're honest, if if you want to talk about rivers, let's go back to where I'm from. Those rivers look clean. Those rivers are worth talking about for miles in every direction. Aren't they better than the waters of Israel? Maybe we could summarize that with, This sounds so simple and, I mean, lowly. 
if we're just putting all the cards on the table. Really, you want me to to go into the Jordan River and wash myself seven times? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Because when push comes to shove, I think I can come up with a better way. He brings all of this stuff to Naaman's house, Naaman's or Elisha's house. Elisha sends out a messenger, go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and you'll be clean. Naaman, he gets angry. He goes away. He, he starts giving vent to his anger, and ultimately, he turns and he goes away. In a rage. Is there anything that you and I can learn from that this evening? If you open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament book of Leviticus chapter 10. You might keep a marker there in, in 2 Kings 5. We'll come back there eventually. I'd suggest to you that ever since Eden. It has been all too easy to allow. Behold I thought. To overshadow and outshine, God says. That a big deal? All over the Bible, we are shown what a big deal that is. We can start in the very beginning. And if time allowed, we could read all about the details. But you know the story. Behold, I... I thought, I, I know what God said about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I, I could even share that with other people. I, I could recite what God had, had, had said. I, I knew there was a boundary line. I, I know God said, but I thought. And the world has never been the same. Maybe a, a less familiar example where you have your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 10. I know what God said about the way sacrifices were to be made. The two oldest sons of the first high priest, Aaron. Nadab and Abihu could say. We know what God said. I, I mean, after all, we back up just a little from Leviticus chapter 10 and we can read all about those details, right? Who is to do what with what and when and how it is to be done. In, in fact, the word that is attached to God's instructions is authorized. But the problem where your Bible is open in Levit Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1 is that these sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered fire that was unauthorized. I, I know what God said about how sacrifices are to be made, but I thought, I mean surely that's not that big of a deal until verse 2 tells us that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Notice what our narrator tells us in verse 3. Moses said to Aaron, 
This is what God said. And when I thought outshines God said, the results can be catastrophic. And Aaron doesn't have anything to say. Because Moses is right. Or we go a little deeper in our Old Testaments to the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 7. We, if time allowed, could go back and we could read God's instructions as the children of Israel come into the promised land. They're told as you go to this first city, the city of Jericho, there's no way you could conquer that on your own. It's got incredible walls. But if you do what I tell you, I'm going to make those walls fall. And when you go in, you don't take anything. I, I know what God said about destroying everything in Jericho, but I, I, I thought. Here's Achan in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 20. You see, I saw in verse 21 among the spoil of that, that city that God allowed us to conquer. There, there was a beautiful cloak from Shinar and, and there were 200 shekels of silver and nobody's ever shown up at my doorstep carrying that amount of money. And there was a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels and I wanted them. I, I coveted them and, and I know what God said but I really wanted it, and so I, I took it. And it cost a whole lot of lives. His included. And we could replicate that over and over and over again. But before we're done this evening, go with me to your New Testament, to the book of James chapter 1, because it's not just, okay, I know what God said or what God recorded a long, long time ago in our Old Testaments, but what God continues to say in our Old and New Testaments. What God, through teachers and preachers and Bible class teachers and shepherds and brothers and sisters, maybe even members of our, our own families, continue to, to remind us. This is what God says, for instance, about temptation. And it's not hard to understand. And it's been there for a really long time. In passages like James chapter 1 and verse 13... Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he, we could just as easily say she, is, is lured and enticed by his own desire. And I know what God said, but... I really want to do that. I really want to have that. I really want to, to experience that. And, and the more that I think about it, the more enticing it is. And, and I know what God said, but I, I, I think I'm just going to go ahead. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, 
brings forth death. That's what God said. In fact, that's what God said 3,000 years ago through that wise man Solomon, all the way back in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? I know what God said about temptation, but I really don't think it's that big of a deal. Or I know, let's go back in our Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Last chapter, last page, last few words of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 16. I know what God says about baptism. And, and I've heard it quoted so many times. I, I know where it is in my Bible. In fact, it's, it's even one of those passages that, that I can share off the top of my head with someone else, right? Mark chapter 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Could I suggest you need help misunderstanding? Mark chapter 16, verse 16. And it's not just there, it's, it's what Peter and the rest of the apostles preached in Acts chapter 2, that, listen, if you're going to be forgiven of your sins, you've got to turn away from sin and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is a promise to you from God but it's not just you, it's for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In fact, by the time our Bibles are done, Peter summarizes it like this. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, baptism now saves you. And we're not talking about washing off dirt from your body, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And someone can show me that in, in my Bible, but I mean, there are so many different opinions out there. And is it really as necessary as you're showing me in these passages of the Bible? I mean, there are lots of good, sincere, religiously-minded people. In fact, I, I know some people who sure do seem to love Jesus more than I do, and they haven't done that. And so, I know God said, but is it really going to be that pivotal when, when push comes to shove? Or you can open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. I know what God said about my neighbor. I mean... How many times have we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And, and there's, a, there's someone from a respectable tribe that is on his way to Jerusalem and suddenly there on the side of the road is a man beaten and bloodied. And I mean, it looks bad. I'm not even sure he's going to make it, but I've got places to go. And so I'm going to get over on the other side of the road and just keep walking. And then there's, I mean, he's not just from a respectable tribe, but he actually serves at times as a, a priest in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And man, that guy, he's not looking too good, but I got a lot on my plate and 
I'm not sure I have time for this. And so I'm, maybe if I pass by on the other side, he won't even recognize that I, I was here. And then a, a lowly Samaritan comes. I mean, you know, the kind of person that you might expect that would go and just kick that descendant of Abraham while he's down because, you know, Jews and Samaritans really don't get along very well. But it's the Samaritan that stops and takes care of this helpless man and puts him on his own animal and carries him to the inn and tells the innkeeper, here's a head start and I'm going to come back through here in a few days and if this man is still in need, I'll cover it. Jesus says, Luke chapter 10, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And everybody, there's only one answer to that, right? The, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you go and you do likewise. I know what God said about my neighbor. I, I know, I mean, I, I have it rehearsed all of the time for me and maybe even in my own head. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything that I have and everything that I am and, and then love my neighbor as myself. But, you know, there's a lot going on and who knows what could happen if I, I put myself out there? Who, who knows whether or not I, I might be taken advantage? I mean, if I, if I help that person, who knows what he or she is going to turn around and, and do next? I, I know what God said, but I think I got a pretty, pretty good idea as to how to handle things like this. Or you go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. I know what God said about marriage. I mean, it's, it's right here in Matthew chapter 19. In fact, it's the Son of God taking His hearers all the way back to the very, very beginning. I mean, they ask a loaded, pretty difficult question, right? But Jesus makes it so simple by taking us all the way back in Matthew 19 verse 4 haven't you read that he who created them made them male and female Jesus doesn't stutter there he he's not embarrassed by that there's male and and there there's female and and God made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. And I know all over the Bible, Old and New Testaments, God shows his intention, his design from the very beginning. I mean, it's, it's not hard to understand. It's one man and one woman for life. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 6, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, but, but what about, and he even says in verse 9, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. But I mean really. Maybe those were 
a little more quaint times, a little more traditional times. I mean, we live in a a much more sophisticated culture. We live in a much more complicated culture. And you're really telling me that's the way it is. If I want to follow Jesus, it's, it's, it's one man, one woman for life. And, and whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You see, it's... I know what God said, but, but I have a good reason. I, I know what God said, but I really want to be happy. And I, I think if God loves me, he would want me to be happy. And I'm not sure I can be happy in, in this sort of arrangement, especially when I think I have found someone else that, that could probably make me more happy. I know what God said, but I think I've I got a pretty good idea. A few pages before this in Matthew chapter 16. This is where we were last Sunday morning. We, we just camped in Matthew 16 verse 18 where Jesus says to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I is Christ's church. I will We learned last Sunday morning, it's Christ's purpose. I will build, it's Christ's work. It's I will build my, it's it's Christ's possession. I will build my church. We, We learned that it is Christ's body and his bride and his kingdom. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's it's Christ's victory. And we ended that sermon last Sunday morning by, okay. How can I, for my part, finish what Jesus started way back there in, in Matthew 16, 18? Well, I, I got to be added to Christ's church and, and I've got to align myself with, with Christ's purpose and I've got to participate in Christ's work and I, I have to live as Christ's possession and I've got to faithfully follow him as leader and savior in order to share in Christ's victory. But I mean, do you know what churches are doing in the 21st century? You know what sort of things they offer? How how they get attention in different ways than preaching verses like that? I mean, we got some pretty good ideas as to how we could create a a buzz in this community and and really get people interested. Now, we're going to have to do some things that a lot of older people have never seen before, but just hang on here. We got got some pretty good ideas, and I, I know what God said, but I mean, really? This is kind of old fashioned. And the more time goes on, the more we're going to stick out if we we don't. I know what God said about worship. I mean, Kyle even quoted it in his prayer this evening. Words of Jesus from John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And we heard Roger say today, well, you know, if God says, then, then I need to align myself with that. If, if God has shown us that disciples in the first century 
They got together and they, they sang. They spoke to one another with psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. And we can read about disciples of Jesus observing the Lord's Supper on, on the first day of the week. And we hear about them being devoted to prayer and, and, and preaching and, and making all of these sacrifices for each other. But I mean, it's been a long time. And I know that's what God said, and I, I know I, there's book, chapter, and verse, but I mean the sky is the limit in the 21st century. Don't you understand what we could do? Well, one morning, in the book of James, toward the end of your Bible, James chapter 4. Maybe I'm on the same page with all of that stuff. And I... <laughs> I know what God said about the brevity of life. I mean, it's right there in James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and, and make a profit. I mean, you've got stuff on your calendar, right? You, you're already thinking here as the sun sets on the first day of the week, what the second and the third and the fourth day of this week are going to entail. But maybe tonight is a really good moment to be reminded. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And it's not the most comfortable thing, most pleasant thing to think about, but I mean, really, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Because really, to live as if that doesn't apply to me is, is arrogant. And there are a lot of people all around me who boast as if there's no bigger dog than them and they're just going to do whatever they want to do. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it with the time and the life that God has given them, to them it is sin. You know, I... I don't know if you've noticed, but over the course of the past 25 minutes or so, as we have walked through point after point after point, that Bible underneath that light bulb has gradually gotten lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. When I thought outshines God's sense, there's a problem. And we understand that in other areas of life. From what I understand, well, I've, I've seen with my own eyes. Gary Carroll makes beautiful cabinets. Let's say Gary is 
You know, he just needs somebody to talk to, somebody to hold his tools. And so I, I, I spend the afternoon with Gary while he's working on a cabinet. And, and he says, you know what, Jason, I'm going to let you make this cut. And it needs to be at a 45 degree angle. And I say, well, you know, I hear you, Gary. But now keep in mind, I haven't made any cabinets myself. But I really think that 60 degrees would be better for this. When... I thought outshines what Gary says about making cabinets. I got a problem, and some, somebody's going to be in trouble, and it's not Gary. Or I'm sitting with Nathan tomorrow, and you know we're waiting to go to lunch, and there's a mortgage that needs to be processed, and uh, you know he he's. From what I hear, there's a little puppy that's, uh, you know, running around the office now. And so, it, you know, he's tending to the puppy. And, and I, I tell him, you know what, Nathan? Don't worry. I got this. And he says, make sure to carry the one. But I, I carry a two instead. When I thought outshines what the one who really knows what he's doing says. There's a problem. I... I go to the doctor, and, and the doctor says, well, we're going to have to perform this sort of procedure. And I say, well, doc, you know, I, I'm just not feeling that right now. I think I would rather have this kind of procedure. We, we, we understand that all over the place, in all other aspects of life. You marked your Bibles in 2 Kings chapter 5. Before we close, let's go back there. When I thought outshines God says... What really ends up happening is I'm left on the outside looking in on the fulfillment of God's promises. And this simple story tells us that. 2 Kings chapter 5, we last left Naaman. I mean, he, he's angry. <laughs> he's furious. He, he, he goes off in a huff, but somebody cares about him enough to say, listen. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 13. His servants came near and said to him, my, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. I mean, this prophet didn't say, you know, I, I can make an axe head float in the water. And I can get poison out of stew. But leprosy is a little beyond me, and even beyond the God that I serve. I'm sorry. Best of luck. No. The prophet sent the messenger and said, you go, you wash in the Jordan seven times, and you're going to be clean. My father, that's, that's a great word. Won't you do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Naaman had to swallow his pride. Naaman had to acknowledge, if, if I walk away from this, I'm going to be on the outside, left looking in. So he went down. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored. Like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Listen, nothing, nothing complicated tonight. God's thoughts, God's instructions, God's reasons, God's methods, God's timing.
they're not always going to make sense to me and they're not always going to make sense to you. But he's blessed us with amazing capacities to think, to reason, to evaluate, to, to innovate, and to, to value. Let's enter this week with the blessed assurance that comes with God says is always going to trump I thought. I I might have some pretty good ideas and some pretty good theories and some pretty good reasons. Maybe to make some pretty good tweaks on how we look at temptation or baptism or neighborliness or marriage or the church or worship or the, the brevity of life or a whole host of other things. But the simple lesson from tonight, don't let I thought outshine God said. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song inviting you to respond, not to what I say, not to, to our traditional stance, but to respond to what God says. Maybe you need to respond to what the Son of God said when we read it. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Maybe you did that a good long time ago, but you haven't been walking as a disciple of Jesus. And so we're going to sing this invitation song, encouraging you to respond to what God has said. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. If in any way we can help you based on what God Almighty says, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?